am just so passionate about telling Black stories. And to the point where I like, <laughs> I am fighting in meetings to get these stories done. Uh, that that was That's really just not being able to settle for, no, we're not doing this story. Like you have to give me a legitimate reason as to why we're not doing this story because I'm gonna fight you for it. Hey everyone, this is Brandy, your MABJ student liaison, and you are listening to Tips from the Field, a podcast from the Memphis Association of Black Journalists, where we talk to journalists and media professionals about life and working in the industry and how to do it well. And today we're talking to WRAG sports reporter and anchor Samaria Terry. So Samaria, thanks for taking the time today to talk to us. We appreciate it. Of course, anytime. You are not from Memphis. I saw no, that you moved no. to Memphis yeah, in 2020. And that was quite a year to be relocating and getting a new job. Yeah, honestly, I didn't even, I didn't even think I was going to get a new job in 2020. People were just kind of, you know, satisfied with staying where they were because a lot of people were losing their right. jobs. So when I saw the opening in Memphis, I had done a lot of work with um, WREG at my station in Jackson. So I just reached out and they offered me the job. It was amazing. But moving was, it was a bit of a struggle, but we got it done. And um, I haven't really, I think Memphis is just now opening up. So I'm starting to see the full Memphis in May and, and all of that stuff. But before it was really quiet. So um, yeah, but I, I love it so far. What was that process like? Cause I've never had to get a job or, or relocate, you know, in a pandemic. So what was, what was that like? I think the biggest difference was I wasn't able to see the station and meet the people before I took the job. So before, um, before we were in the pandemic and all of that, my family was really big on, okay, we all want to see where you're going to be working. We want to view the station. We want to meet the people. Um, so I wasn't able to do that this time. I wasn't able to drive up. We drove up to look at apartments, but we couldn't go to the station. Every interview that I did was via Zoom. Um, so that was interesting. I yeah. feel like this is what it's going to be now from now on. It's just doing Zoom um, interviews. It's weird that it is, it feels normal and you, you know, it, yeah, it's just a life is never going to be the same. And in some ways that that's a good thing. In some ways, you know, it's, it's just different. Yeah. So I kind of just had to take a leap of faith and say, okay, well, you know, I've already worked with a few of the people that are at the station. So I'm just going to go for it. Mm -hmm. And you said that you came yeah. from a station in Jackson? Yes. At the okay. CBS station in Jackson, Mississippi. So I was there for two years before I came here. Okay. Where have you always done sports reporting? No. So when I first um, got into the industry, I was a morning reporter slash traffic that was the worst that, that was the worst job I could have <laughs> ever had because when you first start working a morning shift you go to bed early because your body is like what's going on but then you slowly adjust so I was going to bed later and later and I'm still having to get up at 2 15 in the morning to go to work mm -hmm. and I was doing traffic which was not the easiest, you know, that they're, you're on a green screen, green right. wall, just like weather. And what traffic is really going on at five o'clock in the morning. It's right. Not, <laughs> and I was in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. There mm -hmm. wasn't really any traffic unless there it was spring break or like black bikers weekend. 
So it was not a lot to talk about. Let's just say that was not a good job. I, <laughs> they, they gave me four months there and they, they let me go. And then I sat at home for about a month and a half. And I was really contemplating on what I was going to do. Was I going to, I'm from Atlanta. Was I going to stay in Atlanta? Maybe try to get a producer, a producer job at one of the stations there, or maybe just get out of TV and go into PR or marketing. Um, and then something was just like, sorry, just, just keep trying with, with the TV. So I got a job in Wichita Falls, Texas. Um, and that was just a normal reporter job. And once I got the job, I told them like, hey, I'm interested in sports. Even when I was in Myrtle Beach, I got to help out with the sports department. Mm -hmm. So I did the same in Wichita Falls. And when the sports girl left after a year, I moved into that. What was the the switch like? You know what? It was, it was not as, it wasn't that hard. The The big difference was I went from having a photographer every day to not to me shooting everything on my own mm-hmm. and me editing everything on my own. So that was one of the, the great things about my, which I always say Wichita Falls is really my first station, um, mm-hmm. even though it was my second. But we just, you know, we went into the, to the editorial meeting in the morning and they said, okay, you're gonna work with this person, this photographer. And we go out, we shoot. I'm not having to focus on getting shots or, you know, making sure that the camera's white balanced or the camera's in focus. Right. All I had to do was just ask the questions, you know, and, and mm-hmm. kind of work on getting people to talk to me if we were doing man on the street. And then I would write the story and then my photographer edited the story. It was so easy. Right. And then I go to sports and I'm doing everything. Oh, so that was like right. the biggest adjustment. And then I also had a 40 minute show on Sunday night that I did by myself. Mm-hmm. So that was really interesting. I feel like when you're an MMJ, it's kind of a boot camp because you're doing it all (laughs) you can see all sides of it you know with so many things that you have to think about as a photographer and so many things that you have to think about as a reporter and it's a good way to get your reps in you know yeah and I think it's just so important to be able to do and know like all facets of of this job you know so like now um, I have a photographer every day who I love Jeff Mm -hmm. but when I was in Jackson I didn't have a photographer Mm -hmm. um, unless it was like a special project or something but now I just go out and I just meet Jeff and some of the other stations in the Memphis market are still MMJ sports, mm-hmm. but I'm lucky enough to have a photographer and I don't try to kill him because I know what it was like, yes. you know, to be, <laughs> and I think that's so important just to kind of have that mindset. It's like, I'm not going to make him do all this crazy stuff because I had to do it at one point. So I'm yeah. sure he appreciates that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I read on your bio that you did not start out in school in journalism. You went from physics oh. to journalism. Tell me about that. I loved physics and calculus in high school. I had such an amazing professor or he wasn't a professor, a teacher in high school that, um, that taught us physics and calculus. And I did AP classes in that. And I was like, I want to work for NASA. That was my dream. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to Auburn, which I should have thought about that because I, sh- I should have went to Georgia if I was going to be journalism, but I went to Auburn because they're more science. And I was like in honors physics and I was the only female, the only person of color. I was like, no, I can't do this. <laughs> that, that's enough. It's not work. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to work. But it's so crazy. <laughs> My mom majored in communications um, in speech when she was at Georgia State. And it's, it's so weird. I met this lady one time and she was just talking about how you do what your parents, you know, like what you do in life 
is in your DNA. Like it's in your genetics, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So like yeah. my mom wanted to be on TV. She wanted to be an anchor and she just ended up working at first, well, it was first union, then well, uh, Wachovia and then Wells Fargo. So she worked there for 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, but she wanted, mm-hmm. she did communications. And so that was something that was always kind of in the back of my mind, like, oh, I think I would enjoy doing that too. And it's because of her. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting how that works. And so when you made that switch, did you, I mean, obviously you're still in journalism, but did you feel like, oh gosh, I'm home now. This is, this is it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, we get to talk like class was fun. You know, I think the only <laughs> difficulty I had was getting into the college of journalism and communication at Auburn, because you had to take this it was like newspaper one-on-one or news writing one-on-one class. And not a lot of people passed the class because we had a really difficult professor. And then just the tests that you had to take. So our first major test was we had to learn 1000 commonly misspelled words and you had to know them all. And when we, the test day, he just stood in front of the class and he named off a hundred of them. Mm-hmm. And you had to pass with like an 80 or something like that, 83. Wow. Yeah, I got a 90 on that test. I don't know how, but That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so that was really difficult. And then once I got past that, it was like, okay, I'm home free. You know, like I took a lot of sports classes. I took a lot of just reporting classes. I even did like a magazine writing. Like all of that was just so fun. Mm-hmm. It was really fun. Since you've been in the business for a little bit at this point, you know, what what types of obstacles would you say that you have overcome or are navigating that type of thing I am just so passionate about telling black stories mm-hmm. and to the point where I like <laughs> I am fighting in meetings to get these stories done um uh, that that was that's really just that's not being able to settle for no we're not doing this story like you have to give me a legitimate reason as to why we're not going to do this story because I'm going to fight you for it. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was in Wichita Falls, Texas, we, it was, um, when the, I think he was like ex-military, he shot the police officers downtown Dallas. It was like a huge mm-hmm. story. Um, mm-hmm. he was like on a building and he was like shooting down and he like shot and killed like multiple police officers. He was a black mm-hmm. guy. And mm-hmm. this was like in the midst of black lives matter in all of that. So mm-hmm. um, I'm like, okay, so we, that was the night before we get to the morning meeting mm-hmm. and I'm the only black reporter at my station at this time. Mm-hmm. All of the black reporter, I mean, the white reporters are saying, okay, we're going to talk to Wichita Falls PD, uh, whoever's the police chief. We're going to talk to the sheriff of the county that we lived in. We're going to go to outside agencies. So all these law enforcement angles that they were doing. And I'm like, how about we talk to leaders of Black Lives Matter in this community? Because Black Lives Matter did not associate with that shooter. He was a lone shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were, Black Lives Matter, that group was just as outraged as the law enforcement officials. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they were like, no. What was the no, reason? Why are we doing? They, they couldn't give me a reason. And I felt like because Black Lives Matter was kind of getting grouped in with this shooter that we should talk to them you know like to hear their side so they ended up letting me do the story I was at the very end of the block so it was like la 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 and then my story and then when it was posted on Facebook it was I mean a wave of negative 
I'm sure there <laughs> Why did y'all do this? Who wants to talk to them? Who cares? But I still thought it was so important to tell a full story to have that voice. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's such a, when you are in a situation like that, people just don't, it's hard to navigate when you're the only person of color and Mm -hmm. you're having to bring that perspective. So I, that makes me, or I guess that's a good segue to one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you. Cause I know we just had an MABJ meeting and when we were in there, somebody pointed out that you were the reporter who posted the picture of your hair in braids. And I, I saw that picture and I was so happy to see it. It went viral and everything, but I just didn't make the connection when you were, you were a panelist for us for our student day. And someone said, you know, that post was powerful and it really was. So like, what, what led you to do that? That was just really how I felt in the moment. Before then, I had never really wore my hair out natural, never wore protective styles like braids or twists. I always straightened my hair. My hair is so damaged because of it, because that was just what you were taught in school. It's like professional hair is straight hair. You know, you Mm -hmm. had news directors that are like, okay, no, what are you doing? Like your hair needs to be polished. It needs to be straightened. And I was really worried because one of the other reporters at my station had braids Mm -hmm. uh, before I got to Memphis. Mm -hmm. And I remember her post went viral because she posted a negative comment from a lady about her braids. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) you know, I was just really worried about what people were going to say, because for whatever reason, people feel like they see us on the news, like they know us, you know, like we're friends. They feel like they can reach out to us and email us and call us and say whatever. I don't like this dress. Why do you have this on? Why did you say this? Right. So I was just like, I'm really worried about what people were going to say. And me saying I mustered up the courage was really a true statement. Yeah. I was really worried. I talked to like all of the people at my station, like management, like I really wanted to make sure like this was going to be okay because I was worried. Mm -hmm. So I didn't think it was going to do that though. I really didn't. That was, (laughs) that was crazy. Yeah. It's unfortunate that it is something that is still an issue, but it, but it is so, but that's interesting. You said that you had discussions with management about it. What can, what can you say about those conversations? Just like, I, I'm just really lucky to have managers that are so understanding. And I feel like what everything is going on right now in the country, I don't really think anybody's going to say anything, you know, yeah, crazy. That's true. We do have that on um, our side. <laughs> yes. So I'm like, anybody listening now's the time. Now is the now. time. <laughs> Because I have not straightened my hair since. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, it was just great to just have people that are just really open and, you know, are just like, hey, we support you. We back you. You know, of course, everything that you do has to be, I don't want to say professional, but the word is polished. So whatever mm-hmm. you do, you know, make make it look polished. But other than that, I feel like I was just really blessed to be working at a station that did not side on me but I I do feel like that kind of brings a big point is like we just need more allies Mm. in these newsrooms we need allies like I have never that's why I was so happy to meet what was her what's the what's her name Denisha no Uh, Denisha the Denisha from yes yes our um Um, because Mm -hmm. I have never had a black manager in Mm -hmm. any station that I work, it's crazy, you know, like maybe an EP, but no assistant news directors, no news directors, definitely not general manager, you know, like that's just unheard of. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember Nexstar, I worked for Nexstar 
and they did a diversity and inclusion uh, committee. And it was based of news directors and general managers. There was only 12 people on the committee. There was just one black male mm-hmm. on the committee. And I'm like, that just is really eye-opening, but we, we really need those allies because when we're trying to do black stories or we're dealing with black hair or anything like that, we have somebody that really wants to see us succeed because we look like them. Right. You know, like, and that kind of brings me back to like my first job at Myrtle Beach. There were, there was a girl that did my job before and then she got moved up to Dayside and mm-hmm. she's like, oh my God, Samara, you're doing way better than I did. You know, it took me six months to master doing weather. It gave me four, mm. you know? Yeah. And I just really feel like if there was somebody that looked like me mm-hmm. in that office, in that news director's office, I would have gotten more of a chance because yeah. they really, truly cared, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I don't know. That makes a lot of sense. And so you're you're a person of color and you are also mm-hmm. a woman and- yeah you work in sports. And so, I mean, I know that to me, that's a question that's unfortunately something, an issue that still needs to be addressed, but have you on, on that, you know, coming from that perspective, being a woman working in sports, what is that like? (laughs) Every time I get asked this question, I always think about like interviews that I've done. I could just count on multiple hands and toes, how many interviews I've done or podcasts where people are like, do you really know what you're talking about? Mm -hmm. Men. That's insulting. And I'm like, I have to know twice as much. Right. I can't just come in here and just sit and just deliver whatever. Like, I have to know what I'm talking about exactly. because I am a woman, mm-hmm. you know? So like that, that's, <laughs> I'm like, why am I still being asked this? I've been in the business <laughs> for a long time. I didn't play a sport, but yeah, I have to know twice as much. I can't just, especially being a black female, I have to know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I take it very seriously. I was listening to it with some other podcast I was listening to the other day and somebody brought up the report, a reporter asked Cam Newton a question and <laughs> it was, it was kind of cute to him, you know, do you have to deal with yeah. any of that, you know, just in your, I guess, interactions while you're working with athletes? Yeah. Have you ever? Um, I have not. And I'm glad I haven't because when you see these types of things happening, like, like when Maria Taylor, I I don't know if you remember the infamous interview that she gave with Nick Saban at halftime of the national championship. He's like, don't ask me, you know, he was just rude. I I don't know how I would handle those types of situations. Mm. So if Cam Newton would have came to me and act like I didn't know about routes and I would have been like, I don't know how I would have handled it. So I'm glad that this didn't happen to me. Yeah. Uh, but it's, but yeah, it's such it's a problem though, that, you know, you would have been the one who, who was out of order if you responded right. to the insult. Mm-hmm. That That's always right. an interesting dynamic to have to deal with. Right. But I feel like when people see women, like, especially in sports, they know what they're talking about mm-hmm. because people could just easily give it to a male because they feel like they know but a woman, like we have to go through extra steps to prove yep. that we actually know these sports. Mm-hmm. And even now, I mean, just there's some, t- there's some microaggressions, you know, even in my job now, where it's just like, do you know about this? Do you know this sport? And I'm like, <laughs> no, nah, I don't, <laughs> but thanks. So, yeah. yeah. And so, okay. So you've been here, um, since how, when did you get to Memphis in 2020, but was it late, September. early September? Okay. How have you been, have you been able to enjoy the city at all or <laughs> get to know the city, you know, outside of work? 
Um, I have a, just maybe going to like, yeah, just like a few restaurants. Um, I live downtown and downtown is wild right now. Definitely. <laughs> it was Especially so quiet when I got here. Yes, it was mm-hmm. so quiet when I first got here. Now it is, it's, it's wild. So I'm hoping that it kind of like eases up. But other than that, I, I'm really enjoying it. I love the food. Um, that was one thing about, I lived in, like I said, I lived in Jackson and there was not a lot of wing places mm-hmm. in Jackson. But there's wow. wing places everywhere here in Memphis. And I'm everywhere. from Atlanta. We like our wings. <laughs> and I'm, I, I feel at home. Like Memphis is like a smaller Atlanta. I really love that. Okay. okay. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, you'll never run out of places to go for wings. <laughs> ever, ever. <laughs> so and you, ribs. Yes, ribs, barbecue. You're good. <laughs> Yep. Okay. Well, thanks so much. We are glad to have you here and we are happy to see you on air. Is there anything else that you would like to add that we didn't talk about? Hmm. I just, I guess just kind of, you know, homing in on the fighting, just continue to fight, to tell stories. You feel like that story needs to be told, continue to fight because eventually one day, you know, people's eyes will be open. And I'm going to tell a really quick story. When I was in Jackson, we used to do like this college football game day show. So it was like a two hour pregame show. Mm-hmm. And my sports director, when I first got there, would just only focus on the SEC schools. But we had Jackson State, we had Alcorn, right. um, even Southern Miss, you know, is down mm-hmm. there. So when he left, my new sports director came in. I did not get sports director, by the way. Mm-hmm. So my new sports director came in and um he was he was great I was like hey let's focus on like the five division one schools that are in our viewing area and then each week we'll go to one of those schools mm-hmm. well everybody was game for that my, my general manager my news director everybody was okay with that for whatever reason my general manager three weeks before football season started this was 2019 he inked a deal with Ole Miss so we had to go to Ole Miss for every home game that they had and do a two-hour show. Now, Ole Miss is not close to Jackson. It's like two and a half hours. Right. Ole Miss is close so, to Memphis. <laughs> yes. So we had to drive up there after doing a Friday night football show the night before. And we had to get up at the crack of dawn and drive up to Oxford and do the two-hour show. And he's like, y'all have to do these shows. We have a deal with them. Any other games y'all want to do, he just kind of did his hands like this whatever y'all want to do. It lucked out that the Egg Bowl, of course, is played, which is Mississippi State, Ole Miss, is played on Thanksgiving Day. So Mm -hmm. the Saturday before Thanksgiving was the Capital City Classic, which is Jackson State Alcorn. Mm -hmm. So we had that weekend open, just right in our backyard, Jackson State, it's right there. You know, Mm -hmm. we're in Jackson. So we pitched to do an hour show about the Capital City Classic. Mm -hmm. They tried to get it on air. They didn't want to pay for airtime. We just did a web only show. Mm-hmm. Brandy, it was the highest rated show we had ever done. The highest rated show we had ever done. We get we get it to work that Monday. Somebody wrong. My general, <laughs> right. My general manager has a meeting. He's upset. Why didn't y'all tell me y'all were doing this? We could have sold it. Okay. Did y'all not tell me before football season that that you can only sell the black? This is what my news director told me. You can only sell the black games to black people. Wow. That's what I was told. Wow. So after that point, everything that we did that was SWAC or HBCU was sold. We mm-hmm. did a SWAC championship uh, 
two-hour pregame because that was at Alcorn. They were playing Southern that year. And then we were able to do a town hall meeting with the three Black SWAT coaches in the state of Mississippi. So you had Alcorn, Jackson State, and Mississippi Valley. And of course, we had fun with it, but we got to talk about real deep racial issues and how these coaches are handling dealing with young Black men in America right now. And we got to have that live on TV. That is amazing. That is amazing. And so you just have to keep fighting. Speaking of classics, I know we're trying to wrap up, but I just, I have to ask about, so we have the Southern Heritage (laughs) Classic and we have some prominent coaches uh, coming to the city. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I mean, it's going to be so amazing. Deion Sanders, Eddie George, I mean, mm -hmm. like just the the amount of coverage and TV recognition that Deion Sanders got for Jackson State just this past spring was amazing. So just to think about what Eddie George is going to be able to do for this Tennessee state team. And then to have that one big game. I mean, it's just amazing right now for HBCUs. They are really, and I didn't even go to an HBCU, but you would think that I did. I'm just like, I love them. Like I just, I just, yeah. Um, That's really exciting. But I'm, I'm so excited for them and just to be able to be on ESPN and to, this was with Jackson state this past spring. I'm sure Southern heritage classic will be televised. Mm-hmm. Um, on ESPN probably, but just to have all of that is just, it's just amazing. And to yeah. see, you know, the money that's coming in, the people that are now interested in HBCUs is just amazing. Do you think, do you think that this is a trend or do you think that this is something that's going to be, you know, the long haul with, with the attention that um, they're getting now, HBCUs are getting now? You know now. what? I, I, I'm hoping that it's not a trend. Right. I'm hoping that it's not just something that's just in right now. I'm, I'm really hoping that these coaches that come in want to stay. Cause that's something that I was worried about when Dion, because I, I love Jackson State. I covered them extensively when I was in Jackson. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I was worried about. I'm like, is he going to just stay for a few years and then go to the next best thing? Or is he right. really going to put the time in into this program? And I do think that it's great that you have these former stars coming back to HBCUs to coach because now you're bringing those players and when you bring those players then you bring the money you know like I just did a story um with Lindsey Hunter he's at Mississippi Valley like 17 year NBA veteran comes back and you know goes to an HBCU to coach basketball so like I'm hoping that this is something that we see because honestly those black coaches are not getting the PWIs. They're not getting those head coaching positions. Yeah. So come back to the HBCUs and, and help them in a big way. And I feel like that's really what Dion and Eddie George are doing right now. And it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> For real this time. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, thank you. And we wish you continued success. And that does it for this episode of Tips from the Field. Thank you for listening. And if you want to stay updated on what MABJ is doing, you can go to our website, mabjtn.org and sign up for our newsletter or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And we'll include all of that info in the show notes. And I'll also be sure to include a link to Samaria's viral post if you haven't seen it already. All right, thanks for listening.